We are in, uh, we're, we're, we're coming towards the end of, of our series that we've been doing called Glimpses of Jesus. And this series has been an amazing opportunity for us to be in dialogue with one another at house churches and at gatherings about what we're noticing Jesus do. So if you guys have your Bibles, I would like for you to open up to Matthew chapter 21. And we're going to be uh, reading from verse 12 through verse 22. But before we do that, I want to give just a brief introduction. Uh, what, we, what we have here is we're going to be talking about Jesus clearing or cleansing the temple. And so it's helpful for us to see a little bit of the precursor of what's going on. So Jesus is coming towards the end of his ministry. And uh, he, this thing called the, triumphant, the triumphal entry happens. And how many of you guys are Philadelphia Phillies fans? How many of you were around on 2008 when this happened? The parade. I think this is the closest thing that we actually have in our modern day society to a triumphal entry. Um, did anyone, was that, was, how many people were there honestly? Oh, that's good. So like six of us, that's kind of pathetic. This was a big day for us guys. As you are watching, if anyone's watching, things are just blowing up in Philly right now with our sports. But we have to understand the triumphal entry is this beautiful picture of Jesus coming as king. Um, the, the parents' kids are throwing stuff on the ground. They're yelling, Hosanna. It's a ruckus. It's wild. And Jesus is coming. And the first thing he does is he goes to the temple. Now, some of us may think that, you know, we may not fully understand what the significance of Jesus going to the temple would be. But we have to understand that the temple is central to, 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 to Jesus' people, to Israel's life, to their worship, to their identity, to who they are. Without a temple, what it means is God is not with us. With a temple, it means God is with us. See, we have this temple. We know God indwells and is hanging out with us in this place. We ha- but we have to understand there's a couple of things that we see in here in, in the passage. We see Jesus um, flipping some tables and driving people off, uh, people selling animals. Now, now, here's the thing we have to realize that for, for people to sell animals, we may see that as very strange, right? I mean, if, if you all showed up this morning and there were some kids out there selling goats and chickens and doves, Hopefully you'd turn around and walk away. Um, but if you didn't uh, and you came in, what you, what you would understand is that, that the people of Israel had the sacrificial system in place. That their sin was, was heinous and they realized that in order for them to be forgiven, they had to, they had to shed blood of an animal. So a lot of the people of Israel would travel for miles and miles and miles. So if I had a little spotless lamb, and the thing is, is these, these animals had to be perfect. So if I had a little spotless lamb, um, maybe I called him Lammy. And I was going to bring Lammy from my hometown, Nazareth all, Nazareth, all the way down to Jerusalem. There's a good chance he would probably not be spotless by the time he made it down. And so what happened is, this is actually a good thing that the temple decided to do. They said, you know what, we need to make it so when people come on these long journeys, they can buy their sacrifice here and they can do this. So please don't look at this as, a, this is not just this terrible thing, but this is actually something that, that the temple said we need to do because we're, we're expecting these people to try to protect or to try to bring these animals and what happens if they die on the way? They have nothing. So we need to look at that. Now, um, Matthew tw- 21, 12 through 22. And uh, you guys, if you have your Bibles, keep them open to that. We're going to hear a reading of it. 
Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, My house will be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of God, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Thank you. So what we're going to do now is I would like for us to get in groups of two to four. And uh, we have five questions. This is what we've been doing with the series. We've been grouping up. We've been reading the passage again and discussing these questions. So this may be a great time. One thing that I've learned when I'm really cold is I stand up and I may want to huddle very close. People maybe shoulder to shoulder so you can stay warm. But let's go ahead and get in groups of two to four and let's discuss these questions regarding this passage. You guys could uh, turn back around. So here's what I would like us to do as we move forward in this conversation. Uh, I, I would like for us to talk first about the temple and what's happening there. And then we'll transition into the second one and talk about the fig tree and the correlations that that may have to the other piece as well. So yeah, uh, looking at the questions, what what sticks out to you about this whole Jesus flipping tables and whatnot? I, I wait before I get. Uh, you ever see those pictures? Like it's like someone dressed in like 50s clothing, and it says like you know chlorophyll, more like borophyll. I don't know what they're called. Anyways, there's this one that says. When asked what would Jesus do, it had this like priest with a pipe from like the 40s. It says, uh, flipping t- uh, freaking out and flipping tables is a viable answer. And I thought that's kind of funny um, <laughs> in many ways because it's true. So, yeah, w- w- what are some thoughts that we all had about this passage? What are we noticing? What's Jesus doing? You can stand up. That'd be great. All right. In my upbringing, I always thought Jesus was the most gentle man around. He would never speak loud. He was always very calm. And he did his miracles. He did them just very quiet. He didn't like, yoo-hoo, here I am. He was just very quiet. And then this passage, he's like throwing tables over him. It's like, I didn't expect that at all out of him. You know, what prompted him to yeah. be that way after all that time? Yeah. 
Great. And anyone else have similar stuff to that? Anyone else? Like you kind of grew up with a very calm Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, think about the flannel graphs, right? Always smiling, hands out, long black flowy hair. Handsome man he was. Yeah, who, uh, what else? Yeah, go ahead, Ken. I think if you can say Jesus is, uh, he recognizes the culture that is developed. Huh. And he's trying to, uh, you know, the players aren't as important as the general spirit hmm. Yeah, great. Yeah, there's there's a really good um, point to that. Uh, how many of you guys know the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger? Go ahead. I want to hear some of these. Yeah. Uh, well, righteous anger is anger that's justified and you do not sin. Unrighteous anger is anger. There's sin involved. And Jesus was angry here because it was in the temple and something was going wrong. Something wasn't quite right with the selling. Right. Um, and he saw that, so he was angry at them to have his father's house and his house in a sense. Yeah. So he was telling them this is wrong, but without a sinful thought or sinful nature or sinning in the act. Yeah. Just like the, the model for us and, and also the added piece that we should never let the sun fall on our anger. That if, hmm. angry, if we're angry with someone, righteous or not righteous, you need to rectify that hmm. and resolve that issue. Hmm. Yeah, boy, that's that's tough. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Go ahead, Rachel. Uh, my impression was that the anger was directed at the sin and not at the people. Huh. And I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I always yeah. kind of took it as he's so angry that there's sin against God in huh. the Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I hope you guys see how both of those answers are core. They're they're, they're coming together. They're making a, a bigger picture of this. Uh, one thing that I found really helpful is righteous anger is anger at systems. It's anger at powers of the world that are oppressing and hurting, and 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 you know, it's anger at Satan and his dominion uh, and the way that he continues to control and abuse and hurt. Uh, and unrighteous anger is anger at a person. And now, granted, I know we could probably take this and say, well, I could be angry at Hitler, right, but he's part of a system, okay? We have to understand that there's a, there's a bigger system at play. And I think it's important for us to recognize that Jesus is not angry at these specific people. He's angry at the whole system of what's going on. And that's a much, much bigger picture than just flipping someone off in my car because they cut me off. Okay, that's never righteous anger. Let's just leave that out there, ever, Okay? Um, here's a great example. I have. I was in Portland a few weeks ago, and I was at a friend's church. Oregon. Oregon. <laughs> that's so weird that there's someone that's actually from Oregon in this place. Thank you, Lauren. Uh, and uh, I, I heard this really great thing. Uh, this church is doing this this ministry called Epic, and it is quite epic. Um, these men are joining forces with the police and with uh, other churches, and what they're doing is they're being trained in how to fish for men and women seeking uh, kids that are in children's sex trafficking. And what they're doing is they're, call, they're, they're going on Craigslist, they're going on these shady websites, they're finding numbers, they're, the, they're cold calling these people, pretending to be people selling kids. And then they're saying, hey, I know you're really broken. 
I know there's a lot of hurt in your life. You shouldn't go through with this. And these guys are like ministering to people by the hundreds. Like they're saving kids' lives. Because they're not, they're, yes, they're angry at the action of the person, but they recognize that there's a bigger system at play. And the best way to deal with the system is to love the person. And to help in that process of healing the person. Because I think the minute we see Jesus beating up on a person is the minute that we, we, we have lost what it means in terms of to be people that are reconciled to God. And I love the way that that story works. Yes, and Well, Nathan brought up a good point, which is your sports team, which often gets lost in the sauce. Lost in the sauce. I like that. Flipping out, but then it says that the line from the lane came to him and mm. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, so what do we do with that, right? Jesus is angry and now he's healing people. Go ahead. Just to build off that, it struck me just in the conversation that Jesus is very practically living out what he says earlier. Uh, go and read this passage and understand what it means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it's Cindy. important when you're coming in and you're displacing a system that you replace it with the system that is meant to be because it's not just enough It's mm. not just enough to vacate. You have to inhabit. Wow. Did you all catch that? That's a shame. Let me, let, <laughs> let me have Cindy turn up and speak this to you all because I'm sorry, you're gonna, you have to put your blanket down for a minute. You can get up here. <laughs> Um, Please say this. Well, when you're coming in and you're kicking out a system that's been in place, you're, 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 he was pushing out that system that wasn't there. But it's not enough just to push out. You have to come in and have it and bring the system that is meant to be. And that's why the healing is so important. It wasn't enough just to rebuke these things and kick them out. He was saying, this, this is what is meant to be. And, and it's important that we realize that. Come on now. <laughs> no, you're right. That's awesome. Yeah. But again, this, like, this is the thing. Jesus just doesn't come and just kind of do all these things, but he's, he's showing us. He's replacing the system. And we have to understand, right? We do need to see. Jesus is not angry that people are, are, are from what I understand, he's not angry that people are buying stuff, right? Because if he was angry with commercialism, he would have just kicked out the sellers, right? I mean, if I'm ticked that someone is selling something in the back, I'll flip their table and all you guys are safe. But the fact that he's driving everybody out, it's not just the sellers, it's the, it's the buyers, it's the sellers, it's the money changers, it's all these different things that are there for, for worship. And he's saying, you're missing the point. Let me show you what it's about. Go ahead, Jay. Um, in house church, you were talking about how when he says my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it dead of robbers. Um, Jason brought up the point that I was referring to passage. Jeremiah 7. Ooh, the Bible refers to other passages. I love this. Go ahead. It says, You will steal a murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name, and say, We are safe, safe to do all these uh, detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. Hmm. So it was just interesting looking at that. Um, and because we thought that like he was overturning the tables because he didn't like that they were selling stuff there. But the fact that, you know, you brought up the point that it was normal. kind of Right. Thing, and so that, 
Yeah, and, and so one of the things that's important for us to, to recognize in this passage is that um, Jesus is he's, he's embodying Jeremiah's message. And so how many of you have ever read through Jeremiah? Uh, Jeremiah is a fascinating, fascinating book. He's the weeping prophet. He also wrote a little book called Lamentations. So when you're having a bad day and you need to pray, pray Lamentations. It helps. It really does. It gives words to the deep wounds of our lives. So Jeremiah's job, this is his job. God, you know, Jeremiah, you're young, but hey, uh, you're going to preach my people into exile. What? Yeah, you're going to continue to tell them that what they're doing is wrong and that they're going to be punished by this. So Jeremiah literally walks with Israel into exile. We talk about a nasty, nasty, not fun, hard, difficult job, but he's doing this. And so one of the things that, that we see is, is this, this, as Jesus is quoting this passage, this den of thieves, what he is saying is this. How many of you, uh, any thieves in here? No. Good. Um, <laughs> den of thieves is, is uh, it's a term where, uh, I don't know, so if we're all robbers, we would rob stuff and we'd take it back to our house, but that would be the safe, sp- the safe place. And so what, what God is saying through Jeremiah to Israel is saying, look, you guys think that just because you have the temple that you're a holy people? Like you're, you're, you're doing all these deplorable things and then you're running into the safe house saying, it's okay, God's on our side, you can't get us. Like, you ever play that game of tag when you were a kid and that one kid would always call something base? Base, I'm safe, can't touch me. That's what these guys are doing. They're pulling the base game. They're like, base, can't tag me, I'm, I'm good. And Jesus and, you know, God through, through Jeremiah says, this, this is not, this is not going to work. And so, you know, the, the temple that Solomon built, this was the pride, the presence, the worship. God indwelled. The temple was destroyed. And then it was rebuilt again. And now, it, and, and so this is the second temple that Jesus is preaching in. That Jesus is flipping tables in. And he's saying, hey guys, it's going to happen again. And you know what? In 70 AD, it happened again. And so Jesus is acting out, in some ways he's acting out the destruction by throwing things around. But he's also being subversive and showing, but my presence is now everywhere. And it's with the lame and the blind. And it's with the Pharisees and the Sadducees because I love you guys too. You're just completely mistaken. Yeah, any other thoughts on the temple? Anyone else frustrated? Like, go ahead. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And anyone else find that interesting? I mean, that, that's a great point. So he's not saying house of prayer. I want everyone quiet. Right. I mean, and, and how many of like we can make that jump pretty easily is to be reverent. And Jesus seems to be going nuts in the irreverence of people celebrating of people who are lame, walking, blind, seeing. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a powerful, powerful picture. And the one thing that's interesting about children, and we have to understand, Matthew uses children uh, three times in his, in, his, in his gospel. And the time right before is in Matthew 18, and he makes this, this comment. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must become like a child. Right, and so a lot of us... There, there are people that think that that means that 
um, we have to have childlike characteristics. But I think really what it means is, and, and what, what we have to understand about children in this day is they have no power. Uh, they, they are considered, uh, there's no status that a child has within, within, this, within this system. Uh, they're more property than they are persons. And so we have to understand when Jesus makes this comment, he's not saying, I want you to be childish. I want you to be like children who have recognized that we don't, that the only status that I have is the child of, 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 of my father. And so it's more about laying down your, your self-centeredness, your self-independence and all those things. Saying, I'm going to be dependent on you from here moving forward. And so when Jesus talks about this children piece, it's, it's pretty powerful too because the children get it. And, and I look, Kent sent an email to some of the house shepherds are having a conversation about um, some of the parts that were really powerful. And what I loved is Kent said, notice the kids caught what their parents were doing outside. I'm like, man, that's, that's like, that dog will hunt. That is a good preaching text on parents being good modelers. Model well to your kids what that looks like. That's why it's important for us at Renew. We have our kids in the beginning because we want to model well what it means to listen. We have kids at the end because we want to model well what it looks like for us to worship. And let me challenge us for a second. If our kids kind of like follow 10 years from now and this is what they see worship as... I think they should probably be modeling to us how we engage Jesus. So I hope that stings. It stings me. I hate, I'm, my hips refused at birth. I hate moving. I hate clap. I mean, I just do not like being, I don't want people to see me. But these children, they, they don't care. They just like, let's move. Let's, let's shout aloud. Let's be excited about who God is. Any other thoughts in the temple? Anyone else find it interesting that Jesus got angry? Just me? Yeah. One person. Do you have a comment about the anger? Um, so he's looking to bring in a new system. Yeah. I feel partially that it didn't work. Are we to continue to do that? It feels frustrating because it's not. Huh. And what do we do with that? Huh. Wow. I don't know. That's a great question. That's a great question. Yeah, can you repeat that one more time a little louder? Some folks up front didn't hear There was a comment that it looks like Jesus is coming in to cast out the old system, but to bring in the new one. And it feels as if it didn't really stick. And we're kind of there now. And we see systems come and go. And are we to help bring in this in this system? Yes. You want to finish your part two of the sermon that you preach early? Go ahead. I'm good. But it did stick and we are here. And that is exactly what we are meant to do. And it's not confined to a temple. It's worldwide. It's everywhere you take your feet. You are meant to establish the rule and reign of God. And what I love about Jesus being angry is that's exactly what he'll do to reach a lost one. He will flip tables. I need to know I have a Savior that's going to kick butt to rescue me. And every lost person needs to know that he will do that. He will move heaven and earth and, and tear other systems apart to reach the one he loves. Hmm. And that's each of us and that's each of those children yeah. that are at risk. And, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Tell you what. 
Yeah, and I think that's the truth, right? So the temple's destroyed. That means that God's presence is unleashed. Where, where, where what happened is when, when Israel saw the temple destroyed the first time, they thought God's presence was gone. Yeah. It makes me think of something that we talked about in our house church, which was that the Pharisees didn't get so angry when he flipped the tables and drove the people out. What they really got angry about was the children shouting, Hosanna, Son of God. Yeah. So they, even though they weren't so angry about the system leaving, they were angry about the authority of who Jesus was. Yeah. So... Yeah. In, in your faith of yeah. what you're going to go for yeah. and, and where you go. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. It's a little different. Yeah, it's a little different, right? Because here, we can get excited about Jesus in the building, but the minute we leave, we're like, hmm. But, you know, here it's like, there everyone's excited, Jesus outside the temple, but the second he shows up, you know, the adults are kind of like, oh, shoot, he showed up. Oh, there's the kids. We'll let them do it. It's very interesting. Yeah. Those tables are definitely symbolic, right? Like, we have tables in our hearts today that need to be flipped over, right? Yeah. Hold on. We, we, we are really running short on time. We're going uh, to move really quickly to talking about the tree, because I don't think we can't miss this. So what are we noticing about the, the tree metaphor, the, the, the withered fig tree? Anyone want to? What are you noticing about this passage? Something. Yeah, totally. Thank you. Yes. And and why is Jesus killing trees? Right. Right. And and it's funny. Like after being in 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 Portland and and hanging out with people that are very earth conscious, which I've learned a ton from, this frustrates them. And I get it. It makes sense. It's like, dude, you, Jesus, you are supposed to be the savior of all. Why are you killing trees? Come on. Like, we need to plant these things. Yeah. When we were talking, Philip said that they, the disciples didn't ask, why did you kill the tree? They said, they said how, did you, uh, how did you wither so, wither the tree so quickly? Yeah. Question. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, yeah, the disciples. 101, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, that is... Does anyone have any thoughts on that odd question? Anyone? Okay, we'll get to that in a second, because that is an odd question. So, the fig trees at this time of year have these little immature figs on them. As soon as they had leaves, they had these little immature fruits. Yes. So people eat. Yes. It's not a mature fig, but it's edible. Yeah. And that's what Jesus expected to find there, and he right. did it. And I think it's about... If you, in a, there's a parable in Luke where Jesus refers to Israel yes. as a barren fig tree. Mm. And I think it's a prophetic act that curses it. It's like saying, I'm done with you. Yeah. Barren, I'm done. Yeah, wow. And I would hope that if we listen to that, that's a weighty 
weighty message. Yeah, Rachel, you had your hand up. You Yeah. Rather than the bigger question of why did you do it, it's first, it's like, what, what just happened? Right. Um, so I think that kind of plays into, because we can look at it from the outside and go, well, my bigger question is this. But when you see a miracle like that, you're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're, their whole gyroscope of logic and reason is completely thrown off. Did I see a hand over here? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Jesus taught, especially when dealing with the, um, the Pharisees and showing his disciples what they were like, and he said, you know, you shall know them by their fruit. And then in John, he talks about how we have to stay in the vine, that he's the vine and we yeah. have branches, and that God, Jesus, God will prune us. But any branch that's not producing fruit will be torn off and thrown into the fire. And so burned. when he is cursing this fig tree, mm. it's like a prophecy. It's saying, you know, if you're not, it's, it's, I find that very um, frightening in a way because he's telling us that we have to produce fruit in our lives. Otherwise, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, that. thank you so much, Liz. I appreciate that. This, this passage has a ton to do with what Jesus just did in the temple. And uh, one of the things that, first of all, that, that word fruit, Matthew uses the word fruit or fruitfulness 17 times. He talks an awful lot about fruit. And this idea of fruit being good works, righteousness, you know, being, being people of God. And you're right. So what happens is Jesus is walking by this fig tree, and it looks like there's going to be figs on this thing. Probably the same way. So let's now fast, let's, let's hit rewind as Jesus walked into the temple. Seeing the commotion and the busyness. Oh, this looks great. And then as he gets to it, there's nothing there. It's empty. And so Jesus, in one hand, flips tables and then starts healing people. And in the other hand, he curses the tree and it dies. And he withers the leaves. He says, I'm, I'm done with people and I'm done with things that look like they're awesome, but they're not awesome. I'm done with things that, that, that have all the signs of life, but inside it's just dead. Jesus talks later in Matthew about the Pharisees being whitewashed tombs. How you look beautiful on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. I mean, guys, this is like, this is, this is, this, this is the theme here. The theme is this, that if, if, if we want to be the people that God has called us to be, we are to be people who are sitting at the feet of Jesus, who are leaning on him to produce the fruit in our lives. Because here's the thing, guys. We can't produce fruit apart from Jesus. Like We need him and his love and his life and his characteristic to get thrown into us. That's why that John passage is so powerful. Trees don't produce fruit by trying harder. Like, have you ever seen a tree do that? Like, no, no, it's not, it's not the way it happens. It's by being plugged into the right person. So Jesus is literally, in this passage, he's saying, look, fruitfulness is, just, fruitfulness is more important than activity. And so what I'm not saying is don't be one person that's about a ton of activity. Be a person that's about me. Be a person that's about my Father. Become a house of prayer. And I think this, this vision, and it's funny how these correlations happen, right? Um, Jesus talks about, essentially, the temple being a, a dysfunctional house of prayer. And then he bookends it at the end 
with authentic prayer of faith. And so what does it look like for us to be a people who are shaped by authentic prayer? It looks a lot like kids yelling, Hosanna. It looks a lot like lame people falling at the feet of Jesus. I mean, and again, like, let's be honest. We don't have enough time to unpack the messiness of the last statement that Jesus throws out there. If you have faith, you can tell this mountain to go throw, to get thrown into that ocean. And you know what mountain he's talking about? He's talking about the temple. In this passage, as they're walking towards the temple, Jesus is going back to the temple, saying, if you have faith, this mountain will get tossed into that sea. He's probably looking at the Dead Sea. Off to the right. And so he, here's just a few things I, I want to leave us with today. And, and I, actually, you know what? What implications does this have for us? For you, particularly, in the next five to seven days? Is there, a, is there something, a table in your life that God needs to turn over? Is there a, is there a, a branch that needs to be pruned off? Or is there a, is there a lame branch that's still barely hanging on that you need Jesus to heal? Is there a system that we should be more angry about? There's a great blog post. Uh, This lady's name is uh, Ashley Dickens. And she wrote this blog post that said, 10 things Christians should be angry about before they're angry about yoga pants. And I thought it was hilarious. Um, But it was very good because she talked about these things that we just really, we, we get angry about the wrong stuff. And again, the, the Pharisees are angry about the wrong stuff. And I hope some, some of us may see that I get angry about the wrong stuff. So yeah, what do we do with this? Just We have time for two or three. Anywhere we go, we can, be, we can be part of the kingdom and restorative things. Yeah. Dave. It seems that uh, whether it be within the evangelical church or within our country, there is a system that seems to provide on here that relates to Islam. system I guess like when he's saying like if you have faith like you can essentially do this as well so for me I take it and look at it as like from the day to day like 
with like some of my friends and stuff, like the system that of like their life that they're living, like I can be somebody that like comes into it and kind of like pushes out their system and like brings in like a new better one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah, and again, I think, you know, this is just the, the last thought of the, the morning. But we have to understand that Jesus is the king. And that as he as the temple destroys, it's, and as Jesus dies on the cross, that his spirit is sent out to all who believe. And the fact that his presence dwells within us, where we stand is where God stands. Where we are is where God moves. And I think it's important for us to remember that as we continue to move forward in our day-to-day life, that God is present with us. We also have to remember that God isn't going to just sit there and let our lives go to whatever we think we want it to go. He's going to flip our tables. And as Christian brothers and sisters, when we see like sin deeply embedded in our own lives, we need to flip the tables. We don't need to be, we have to do it in a loving, truthful way. Jesus does it, and I love John, right? The Gospel of John is beautiful because Jesus makes water out of wine. And then Jesus drives out people with whips. Wine and whips, man. Love and truth. I love that. It's beautiful the way that he does that. But that's the truth, my friends. We need to stop it. Because Renew is this beautiful relational community that Johnny picked up on that we all see, my fear is that we let relationships trump truth. And we need to stop that. We need to allow the Lord and His love and His mercy to flow through us. And even when we feel like something stings, it probably is because it's touching a table that we don't want to flip. And so let's give Jesus the authority to flip the tables in our lives, to make us into the fruit-bearing trees that have beautiful leaves and ripe, amazing fruit. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank You. Thanks for this time together. Um, Thank you for the ways that this passage has come alive. We know that it's by your Spirit that we're able to even wrestle with these things. So Lord, I pray that you would bless us this morning. Continue to work in our lives. May this thing settle into our hearts and, and wake us up at night and bother us and drive us to deeper understanding of your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, may you give us courage to get angry in a righteous way. And to run from our unrighteous anger. May you heal our hearts. May you help us. May you set us free from the tables that we think are so important. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.